Hey there, boils and ghouls. Welcome to this week's episode of Hollow Weekly. Nick and George here with cocaine. I mean, life force. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like space horror? Do you like vampires? Do you like aliens? Do you like drugs? Do you like zombies? Do you like special, like really good special effects in a weird movie? (laughs) Then you will love Life Force. Actually, so we're going to do top line review of this. And then we saw it in a really interesting circumstance. So we'll get to that. But I just got to say, going into it, that I had seen this movie really, really young. Probably too young. I, right? It blows my mind that you've even seen it. Right. Well, I mean, it, it was it was a flop in his career, unfortunately. But I fell in love with this movie. Now, the one caveat here is that there is some ridiculousness sitting at the center of this film mm-hmm. that I think is not just bad, but actually might might be worse than it was when it was made. Right. Yeah. Like like especially there are some really weird metaphors going on about sex about relationships like there's some weird stuff at the heart of this it's, that i still haven't figured out what those you're, it's are. when you're saying it and i'm like there's no way anyone listening to this and myself would pick up on any of it on the first row like it's like that's like that's like third or fourth watch where you're like i see what he was going for there yeah, first, i mean if he was even going for anything except for more cocaine it's right then it's right. possible but like there's so there was this there's this incredibly Weird moments, and we'll get to it, but there's like an incredibly weird moment that transpires with Patrick Stewart. But there's an even stranger moment that happens when the space vampire jumps into another body and she's in like a taxi and mm-hmm. they're going down the street and he's having a dream about being in the taxi with her. And I mean, it's like visualizing there, it. There's or... really strange stuff at, at some of the heart of this that I, that makes me nervous. But I actually fell in love with this movie because I, the, the things that were. First of all, it's completely unique, and I know that that's like the backhanded compliment way of like whatever, but it truly is because, you know, when you say a movie like Birdemic is unique, right? There's no other movies like Birdemic, but that's not really true. There are tons of movies like Birdemic. Birdemic's what also only... is not true is no one's ever said Birdemic's unique. <laughs> right, right. But this one has something really interesting going for it in terms of the fact that Believe it or not, the people who brought you this movie are the people who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alien, and did the effects for Star Wars, right? So this is an epic scale movie that feels half space Lawrence of Arabia and half Plan 9 from Outer Space, yeah. right? And, if by, and that's what I mean by that it's completely unique. I've never seen it like that. But the craziness is so charming. The performances are so interesting. And then not. And then the craziness is so real. Like, I just fell in love. Like, I just, I've absolutely fell in love with this movie. What did you think of it? It's your first time seeing it. All right. So for people who don't know, this is a movie called Life Force, directed by Toby Hooper, who had a wicked budget for whatever yes. reason. Yes. Well, he, they said he came off Poltergeist, so it was like mm-hmm. he was it was gambling. He hunt. was a hot commodity, and Canon Films decided to um, attempt to make a bigger budgets movie instead of just making exploitation or B movies like they were known for up until that time. They were flush with success. He was flush with success. Everyone was successful. They were like, <laughs> "Let's blow it out and make a huge movie. <laughs> let's, let's do it." Um, I thought. So like my 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 blurby review that you would see on like Ron Smithers would be like this is the movie you would have a dream about if you were on board the ship 
in Mystery Science Theater 3000. I get, I get, right. Because <laughs> you see all, Event Horizon went by. Yeah, like, because you see all these, like, it's like the accumulation of all these weird-ass fucking movies just kind of roll up into one and then they smoked it. <laughs> like, that's, that's sort of how it Plot felt. Plot-wise, not look-wise. Plot-wise, for sure. Um, look-wise, the effects, the special effects were actually really, really good. There's that's a, what I'm saying. There's a few like, cheesy ones, like, when they're, like, uh, in the, you know, they're in their suits and they're floating through the things. But, like, the 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 first beginnings of like all the space stuff looked really freaking good. Yep. I was I was totally buying it, and it gave me like that like old school B movie kind of like cheesy effect at a you know cool little theater. Um, there was a part in the middle uh, when you were mentioning where Patrick Stewart, where they were looking at the girl, the the redhead girl, and visioning. I felt like that was just like, hey, we got to hit a runtime or some shit like that. Like that definitely could have been. So I don't agree with that at all. Next. I think that was a big part of the message, of, or or not the message. I'm saying it wrong. That was a big part of what they thought made their own movie interesting to them, and that I was picking up on. But I get your point. Like that, it looks. I mean, it looks kind of mystery science theater. First of all, <laughs> right? That, that well, part is like whatever. But the the thing they were, I think they were trying to do there is, I think that they thought. They had like a usual suspects level, like um, uh, twist, and their twist was that she can jump from the space vampire can jump from body to body, right? And she's jumping from body to body, and then she was in Patrick Stewart's body, and then they they double twisted it, and they knew that she was in the body. Remember, they trapped Patrick Stewart. He came in, and they right. all of a sudden they ambushed him. They had all those they, drugs, right? And, and I think that was in their head. That was like a big twist, but it didn't play like a twist. No, it didn't. That <laughs> it was the part, weird. That was the only part of the film where, like, I got kind of bored and was like, sort of like daydreaming, like, or I drifted off. Um, but then, like, the third act was like, <laughs> it's pretty bonkers. The third act is incredible. Third act. So, like, the what? Third act is incredible. Uh, the the guy from the secret cinema said like he was uh, he said something along the lines of like you see all the budget in this film mm-hmm. and you see it in the beginning certainly with all the space stuff the middle it goes more to your drama like it kind of felt like kind of christopher nolan like the way they were trying to do their story and stuff Definitely. uh so i think it's kind of quiet um and then at the end it just goes like it's like apocalypse now in the city with zombies it had some Night of the Comet feel to it. Like yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it, I mean, because it was, well, here, so let me, let, let's back up a second. So one of the things that I think is really, one of the things I look for in movies like this, like Toby Hooper is a really good um, uh, legendary filmmaker. So I was like, what is he putting in here? Because Texas 2, Texas Chainsaw 2 is a really subversive movie that kind of grew with time. So I'm like, what was what's hiding in here that maybe like people weren't getting or whatever? Right. One of the things that this is a minor thing, but one of the things I thought was cool and interesting was if you if you look at how vampires work, like theoretically in life, let's say they were real, like like it was Walking Dead, right? But mm-hmm. it, well, vampires, like the planet should be overrun by vampires mathematically in weeks. Yeah. Right, like, but it never happens in any vampire movie ever. It's always like one Dracula or the Lost Boys, and then somehow they keep going on for centuries and centuries without creating very many more vampires. Or you have like the underworld situation where they're hunted into small. But mathematically, if one vampire creates another vampire, and that vampire creates more vampires, like the Earth should be all vampires by like you know December thirty first. So. This movie did that. Like this mm-hmm. movie, the the vampires were overrunning the planet. Everything was going Quickly, to hell, yeah. and everyone was getting sucked up into that amazing blue life force, like you know, kind of feeding thing. So I was like, first of all, good on you, movie, for like actually 
doing the vampire math. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was cool. And then I like when movies give you, you know, like I love that when the implications of things are horrifying, right? Like that movie, The Endless, that I love so much where, you know, the guy's stuck in a six-second time loop for eternity. So he's just living the same six seconds over and over again, which is like the worst thing I can possibly imagine. Right. Like it's worse than being in hell with flames or whatever because at least like maybe Harvey Cattell will show up or something. But like this one, you're just in the six-second loop for eternity, no, mm-hmm. no escape. The implications of that are terrible, right? But in this one, there there's this epic, climactic, Stay Puft Marshmallow Event Horizon scene happening at the end where they're confronting not just the space vampire Matilda May, but the two male space vampires who didn't go to vampire training school very long because yeah. they were terrible at it compared, no, they compared got... to her, right? She was amazing at it. And then there's this blue light, and this character stands back, and he goes, those little sparkles in the light, those are all human souls going up. They're all getting sucked up and, like, whatever. And then there's this moment where the the main guy, I'll look up his name in a second, um, the one who fell in love with Matilda May, like, that, you know, was with her for most of the movie, um, he was he was making out with her and then she was trying to seduce him and trying to suck his soul away, take his life force. I'm like away literally. And, Mm -hmm. and he was into it because like he's being seduced and hypnotized and it's Matilda May. So like, and then all of a sudden you're looking at it and they're standing in this blue column. And while he's deciding whether he should strike with the sword and like end it or whatever, like a hundred white specks go past him. Mm -hmm. Like while you're like, it, while you're making a decision, it's like being the captain of the Titanic, right? All right, so you hit the iceberg. Now what? Well, I mean, I think we're okay. We're probably okay, right? And then while you're fucking around, like, everyone's going to die <laughs> because you're wasting time. So this guy was considering it. While he was considering, the vampires were literally slaughtering hundreds of people. Take your time. Like, <laughs> right going by. So just the implication at the heart of it, I thought, was really cool. Like, actually scarier than I expected for this movie, right? So I, I thought all that part was amazing. Yeah, I... Talk to us before you do that. Talk to us about how we saw it because I know you loved how we saw this movie. That was actually my favorite part of the, the, the mm. evening. Yeah, more so, more so than the movie. Uh, not that I thought the movie was terrible. It was really enjoyable. Probably only enjoyable in that setting. Uh, so we it was our first time going to the Vista Theater. Yes, and in Los Angeles. In right. Los Angeles, um, which I'd never been, and I I kind I really dig these like smaller, independent kind of theaters. Like they're really. Yes. Really fun to go to. And we went with our good friend, Garen Sparks, who is uh, occasionally on the podcast and is an incredible resource for movies and, and whatnot. And he kind of t- tipped us to this and took us, which we have, which is amazing. And we want to do a part two of this episode with him because he's got a lot of background detail on Life Force that we're not going to cover. But yeah, so we, it was the three of us. We go. It's an amazing theater. Vista Theater, midnight screening. And that theater was really bitching. I, I, I really liked it. And it's pretty close. That was also my favorite part. I was like, I mean, when we first... Yeah, so we're, they were, L- we're from LA. It's got to be close. Yeah, so like I was like, oh, it's good. I thought it was at the Egyptian Theater. And I was like, you know, I like the Egyptian Theater, but it's a little far away. And then you got to call on everyone you're done. And yada, yada, yada. And then I looked at the Google Maps. I was like, oh, it's 10 minutes away. This is great. Easy. Um, I really, really liked that theater in particular. I just there's something about like because we have like the AMC Stubbs Pass and like we go to the like the the theater and the Americana every now and then and like those are cool. But there's something about like the one screen old school theater that just like really 
really sets the tone. With the full red curtains and like the Egyptian architecture and the yeah. heads on the columns. The, yeah, the crazy designs everywhere. Selling like really cool movie posters out front. Well, that's the that's the thing is like, uh, you know, we've mentioned on the show a couple of times, like I think how you view a movie or a TV show is almost as important as the TV show or the movie itself. Like if you see it in a really cool setting, it's going to make up for some of the flaws, which just made up for a lot of flaws. Right. A lot of flaws. Not a lot of flaws. I don't, I don't want no, to show there's the a movie. lot of flaws in the movie. It's it. The thing is the, the thing that I found most refreshing about it was like, there were a lot of flaws in it, but there was so much good and so much charm that I walked away not worrying about the flaws like I would with a lot of other movies. Right. So, right. And part of it is how you see it. Right? How you see it. And the one thing I really like, so this was done by the guys who run secret cinema. Yes. I keep wanting to call it like something else, but secret like movie club? secret movie club or some shit like that, but it's secret cinema. Um, and they said they have an email list that you can sign up for. So I don't know if you guys Google that, if you can find it, but like, I'm definitely going to sign up and try, try. They're also doing Jason X. So if you're listening to this now, I think it, it's on March, Friday the 13th. So if you're in LA, I'll probably be there for, Check that out, the, yeah. for this. Um, but there's something really cool about these midnight screenings and not or like the horror movie marathons and midnight screenings. Like there's a community behind it that I'm really, really sort of new to because we've only been to two marathons, right. both of them at the Egyptian theater. So this is our first time at a, at a different theater. Um, and it's like really charming and it's enchanting. And there's like, like we, we and didn't the crowd energy was great. The crowd dude. So like that theater, how many seats do you think that had like 300? Sounds right. There was probably what? 45. Mm-hmm. There could have been more than 60 people in there, mm-hmm. but it felt like the theater was, you know, almost halfway packed with yep. how much energy was in that room for life force. And yep. my favorite part about these like screenings isn't even the movie itself. It's the people who get up to talk. So the guys who it's two guys who run it. One guy did a trivia question and confused the shit out of everyone. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, we were like, what are you asking? I um, love when someone asks a trivia question and they ask it. So the way he asked it was so jacked up that he was looking, his answer was a, a movie title and people were shouting out actors names. That's how bad he <laughs> that's garbled how, that's how like, bad. the ask of the question. It was like, name name the first movie with it where they said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And you're like, you know, John Wayne. Like, what, <laughs> huh? what's, like, what's happening? Um, but, then, uh, so the, but then the other guy got up and he talked about canon films, which I honestly knew nothing about. And it's, it's, it's sort of like when we like to travel, like we like to do ghost tours places because, one, you get to hear cool stories about ghosts and, like, scary shit. Right. But, two, you also get a little bit of history about the town itself. And I yeah. feel like these types of screenings are the best way to one, get a little bit about the movies, a little bit about the culture and you get out and you get to experience these cool theaters with a really awesome crowd who's, who's super into it. Totally. Um, so the, the theater was amazing. And also because Garen foolishly voted for, or made a bet against me that Michigan was going to be Ohio state. I got to walk out of there with one of secret cinemas, custom posters. Like they, I actually need to grab them. I have it behind my computer, but I need to get a frame for it. Yes. They want to put like right behind me back there. Yeah. So we can It'll show be a good background for our Facebook lives, which you will see if you're in our Facebook group, Battle weekly horror club. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you watch the live, we're going to butt these up right next to each other. Um, yes, but the theater, it's so how you saw it. We love how I saw it. We love We love. We're going to do secret, secret, cinema again for sure right and but, i think it was 35 millimeter and they were really passionate they were they seemed to be as passionate about canon as they were about the movie this movie itself this particular movie and and toby hooper's work they seemed to like be equally passionate about both subjects which which was which was fun because you're getting like double the the 
because they get evangelical in there. They're like, they're, the guy's like, this is the craziest movie you're ever going to see. And this is, right. like, which is, it's not the crazy. It's the weird thing is that it didn't, I mean, cause I'm a huge David Lynch fan. It didn't come off like, like any 10 minutes of Twin Peaks, the return is weirder than life force. Like there's no doubt about it to me. Hands right? down. Yeah. But because it's basically got a narrative flow. And once you realize the characters are jumping bodies, then that's explains most of the strangeness that's yeah. happening. Except for the inadvertent strangeness where, like, you know, there's the weird plot jumps and, like, whatever, which, you know, we, we can get to uh, in a little bit. But my, my favorite thing was that I felt like the passion of the people introing it and the passion of the audience in the theater was matched by the passion of the people making the movie in weird ways. So, right. like, the, the, the Toby Hooper, obviously, like, I, you know, it seemed to me like he knew that there was a lot on the line with the movie, but it didn't hold him back from being creative, right? Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like a, I mean, it didn't feel like a play it safe movie at all. No. Right? So he really went for it, which takes guts and it backfired on him spectacularly, but, like, I'm glad that he had the, you know, the balls to at least give it a shot. But Peter Firth, who played the really serious guy who charges in and saves the day and right. throws the sword to the the other guy at the end, uh, Steve Railsback, Colonel Carlson, who is the, the guy who gets double penetrated with Matilda May at the end there with the sword. He, uh, the Peter Firth, that <laughs> guy know. was acting... I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> that, that, that guy, he showed up like Donald Pleasance times 10. Yeah. Like he showed up with the most serious demeanor, the most like, I'm a badass. All he, five, six of me is here and I'm going to kick ass. And The like, whole movie. Yeah. He, the whole he, movie. He was so intense. So he was like really bringing the passion. Carlson was bringing this weird, like he looked like he really fell in love with Matilda May. So like he was totally believable. Matilda May was actually sinister, which I didn't expect. I expected like, oh yeah, the nudity and all that was like, it was all legendary for the people who grew up with this movie or whatever. But you you don't hear about the, you, you hear about that she's naked for most of the movie. Right. You don't hear about that. She's actually frightening for a lot of the movie. Like though, though that, that, flat affect that she speaks in and the weird way that did you notice they were like mixing her voice and patrick stewart's voice sometimes in the mix yeah like sometimes like she got i got like a little bassy yeah and it kind of sounded really, like audrey too yeah <laughs> it was point. yeah and it was just off and and sinister and then you know there was this incredibly badass moment for her where she blows up like this building and and there's like it's the diehard glass scene times a thousand, like uh-huh. this entire field of broken glass. And she just barefoot walks right over it without blinking an eye. And you're like, I don't want to meet you. And <laughs> like in a, yeah. in a dark alley. Like, so it was really, she, it was the performances, the passion behind what the people were putting into it. And then we got to talk about the music. Cause Holy shit. The music is really good. I thought the music was... That's a Jerry Goldsmith score. I mean, it's perfect for what this is. He did The Omen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Once you get that guy on board, <laughs> your music's kind of But the music was of. perfect for this because it, the the funny thing was that it was it was passionate. It was, the, it was the horror sci-fi version of the music they play in the spaghetti Clint Eastwood westerns. Right. And right. The, the music knew what this movie was. And it wasn't. And, and there was a lot of like science and like sci fi stuff in it. And he didn't go like cheese ball science. Right. It. We didn't get a Forbidden Planet. Like, yeah. He didn't get like, you know, the, what, the, the, the third. Yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> like, he didn't get any of that. Like, you know, he played it pretty straightforward. Yeah. Totally. It's a good. It was a good soundtrack. I would. I would. 
it's one of those where like I was trying to actually find a Spotify playlist of horror movie soundtracks. That's not your normal stuff, like Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, Halloween, all mm-hmm. that. Like like more random stuff. Mm-hmm. I might I think I might have to create one myself. But some of those tracks from that from that movie would make it onto that list totally. because they're unique enough and they're they're they got they got like a really cool theme and emotion behind them to where like if you're just walking around the house doing chores you listen to night you're like oh I can vibe with this for a little while yeah it's got energy to it ironically being life force right that's, <laughs> that's that totally makes sense that's very there was one scene in there that really stood out to me um, oh and then we got to talk about some of the the the, uh, the zombie esque special mm-hmm. effects because I think there was some connection to Day of the Dead. Or uh, a Return of the Living Dead with this. Well, yeah, Dan O'Banner wrote it. He wrote Return of the Living. That's what it was. We were talking about that on the car ride over over yep. there, uh, which is why so like some of the zombies like when those first. Let me just just to jump into that. The zombie, the the vampire zombie, lifeless people like in the yeah, beginning it, when she it, sucks it his got life. Really, I am Legend in the in the last third of it, but in a better like this movie is better than I Am Legend, no doubt about it. Right. Which is which is which is kind of like my, was my best hope for this movie. Was that because because when you say I it like Legend that it makes me a, appreciate it even more. Right, I am Legend is such a great idea, such a similar idea, right? Right, in in a lot of ways, and such a great idea, and one of the greatest horror novels ever written. And then you have yeah. the Will Smith movie comes out, and it, it, you know it, it it has like the effects in I Legend are worse than the effects in this, right? Yeah, the characters are worse because you care about these characters more, and that one's less scary. It's a little more haunting with the loneliness part of it. Right, but the other thing, like this, the thing you're about to talk about, the apocalyptic wasteland that everything was turning into at the end, was really well shot. Like well, yeah, the part th- where they were, where the big blue, you know, death ray was going up into the sky, and then all around it was, it was like these steps that looked like the entrance to like the Silent Hill Church, and there were bodies just scattered all everywhere. over, it and a path straight through them to like whatever, like, and then when the camera lifted up. All of that, those were all real effects. Those are all real stunt people. Those are all that. None of that is CGI. And, like, it looked incredible. I really liked, I don't know, would you call it a zombie when she sucked life out of the guy in the research facility? No, they're vampires, but they're this version of vampires. But we can just call them zombies because that's what functionally they are. And they kind of, they definitely look like zombies. That, I don't don't know if you call it puppeteering or the animatron, whatever whatever they did, it looked so amazing. And they had so much personality to them. Like, and there was the, remember she, she, the first guy who visits Matilda May in it, 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 when she's on, when she's been quote unquote rescued, um, he, she victimizes him first. And when they come in, he's like sucked completely dry. He looks like a, like a hundred thousand year old shoe. And then, she immediately goes to the next guy because they're coming in one at a time for some stupid reason, right? <laughs> and then... Um, After running through... And, and, and to save him, you have to run through 700 actual doors. Oh, my God. That was unridiculous. That scene was hilarious. That was ridiculous. But, but then um, she... she That guy comes up later. They're doing an autopsy on him, and they think he's dead, like Seven style, like the guy who was in the bed. And he starts moving, and his eyes open, and it's creepy. And yeah, the way he moves, it's it's unhuman, right? And the look in his eyes, just like desperate hunger, was perfect for what that was. But then he vampires 
one of the people in the lab and then he goes back to the way he looked when we met him Mm -hmm. and the other guy gets desiccated right and what i really liked was one of the most haunting things from a very very underrated horror movie for horror fans not underrated in general because it's spielberg but war of the worlds is a great horror movie that a lot of horror fans miss because they think it's sci-fi or like whatever but it's a horror movie and one of the one of the chilling things about it is when the aliens first emerge in war of the worlds i don't know if you remember but the death ray basically turns them all to dust or powder when it uh-huh. hits them. And there's this amazing scene where Tom Cruise is running, like he always does in every movie. He's running and he's outrunning everyone else like he always does. And then some of the, the some of the innocent bystanders around him are getting vaporized. And there's this woman who gets hit in the back and she doesn't know because she's not seeing the. But then she realizes because she's in pain. And then she gets this look of total anguish on her face and then bursts into powder. Like it looks like LeBron doing his clap, thing, <laughs> right? Like, but but because of it, always haunted me because of the anguish on her face. It looked so real, and to think that that your whole life and like whatever you're just wiped out, like 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 just, turned into like <laughs> right, like is is horrible. And that happens in this movie Turn into a lot. And the most amazing one is when the guy who doesn't know he's powder. Because they have to feed like every two hours, or they dry out completely, right? Yeah. So the, I, did, I love that touch, which is I really like that. And then he's in the jail, and he runs towards the prison bars, and when he hits them, <laughs> he just goes poof, and like you know, like whatever, like a, like an arm flies through, like a piece, <laughs> like a shoe, and like a hat. <laughs> it was amazing. It, it had so it cool. had some of the best effects of a, of like a really cheesy film yep. that we've seen at one of these like screenings I've ever seen. It also had what I thought was a really great and haunting scene. I called it the Jekyll and Hyde scene. Um, so it's when our main guy goes back for the sword, and yeah. the scientist guy's there, and they shoot him. Like he's kind of like in the shadows, and like he's he's a, uh, that's he's, my one of my very favorite scenes. Oh, and he's like he's kind of sweaty. You know something's wrong. Yeah, and he, he he's he's kind of keeping to himself, and they talk for a little bit, a little bit, yeah. and then and then his back's turned to him, and like his voice kind of like gets real low, and he turns around, and he just looks demonic like he doesn't look like the, anyone else in the film he doesn't look like a vampire he doesn't look like a mummy he looks kind of demonic yep. and, and and you just turn around and you see that reveal and you're like holy holy shit he's one of those the tension in that scene alone totally. and i'm one of those guys like i you know i'll tell i love texas chainsaw massacre i'm not a big fan of the second one right i actually have not you know this is embarrassing to say we're on a horror podcast i haven't sat down and watched poltergeist in its entirety so right. i've not been one of those guys where like i know toby hooper has directed great movies but i never thought of him as like you know, oh yeah, like I, I never thought of like well, what is. He does some bad, weird shit too. Well, I've never like I didn't really know like what like if you ask me what's Toby Hooper's style, right? I don't really know, right? But what I do know is that he did that scene that yeah. stuck out so hard yep. <laughs> from everything else that I've scene ever seen. Felt like a scene that could have been a Land of the Dead. Yes, right, and it was so well done, right? And 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 do you remember what the guy said? Because it was one of my favorite lines in the whole. No, what did he say? So the guy he's possessed, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's 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 stalking he's coming after the the main carlson and carlson shoots him in the gut or shoots him in the in that one spot because remember you the, you have to these vampires you it was a weird ra- random detail but you have to stab them like two inches below their heart or something ridiculous yeah which yeah, was yeah. one of the stupid lore things they just threw in there I remember that, but yeah. so he gets hit right in the spot and his face bubbles a little bit and then he starts to get older and drier looking and you know like whatever and he literally looks at carlson and he goes well, there I go. <laughs> and it was like funny, but also 
scary like yeah like that, to realize that he's like inhabiting a body that's like coming apart and he's feeling it and it was the same feeling you get watching like brundlefly like jump yeah, yeah, yeah. go through like he's disintegrating but he knows that he's going to be conscious of it and then he gets sucked up into that evil blue ray thing all of that was fucking amazing that was a great scene i really liked it the um what do you think about the technology aspect of it? Because one of the things that you and Garen, or Garen brought up that I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting was like they never say what year this film takes place. Yeah, I mean the the tech is fine. Like it, it it's 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 the way it's always going to be when you have something that's older. Um, some is going to age well. Some's not going to age well. I love that they posited that the alien ship hides in comet tails. So it's spying on planets by going by in mm-hmm. the tail of the comet and not being detected, which I thought was a just, I mean, just a cool way to present. These comets have always traditionally been like harbingers of doom for humanity. So that's like sitting there in our DNA that comets are bad news, right? Right. And the fact that they had the space vampires in there, I thought was really... <laughs> The that fact was, that we just had to use that was the really term cool. for real space vampires. Right, yeah, right. right. <laughs> but like, awesome. But if you remember, like the first shuttle gets you know, uh, wiped out. And then the shuttle's just drifting like in space orbit and they have to, in Earth's orbit, and they have to send another shuttle up to find out they actually connect to each, they dock to each other, right? And then the shuttle comes back and it just comes back, you know, it's just drifting with no, like showing no signs of life. Mm-hmm. And, they're trying to and I realized, oh, holy shit, we're watching the ship from Dracula. That's the ship from Dracula. When Dracula comes to shore and it's just, wow, yeah. it's just co- coffins and no people, no signs of life, and just this this ghostly ship. And then they have this ghostly space shuttle with three glass coffins and no life forms. I'm like, wow, they just did Dracula on us. And that right. was like, you know, like, I mean, I, it wasn't so much the tech part of it as what they were using the tech. They were using the tech versions of vampire lore, but in tech. And I thought that was really, really cool. And my favorite scene of all of them, because it was so bizarre and amazing and it's when i fell in love hard for the movie was it's a quiet scene when they're like helicoptering back i think and and making the they're trying to make their next moves against the vampires and they it's after patrick stewart is 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 gotten gotten and if you remember blood starts to leak upwards out of their faces yeah really weird shots and it starts to coagulate and form like this blood globe in the air. Yeah. And then it forms the female space vampire in form. And then it holds together for a second and disintegrates. And that's when she escapes, right? So that's when she's in the other woman's body or whatever. But she literally blurts out, she goes Carlson, like really sinister. And the voice comes out of like the blood girl. And then she dissolves and it's just like, pff, Toby Hooper style. It's just like, pff, it all hits the ground, like this gross, wet slapping sound, like all this blood hitting, like whatever. It was really gory and really weird. But like Matilda May's face in there was was great acting. I t- Like she looked tormented mm-hmm. and angry and evil as hell but like not wanting to be doing the thing like it was it was that frankenstein moment where you had empathy for the creature but we, it was a blood floating blood globe <laughs> like, right it was so bizarre and cool that i just i love that that to me is toby hooper like gotcha. other people can make other you know directors can make sci-fi horror and they'll make it look their ways or whatever but none of them are gonna have blood flowing into the air from two 
weird special effects version of the faces that were clearly not really the people, right? That was a bad effect on the ground. But then when the blood went up there and formed into this, this girl, it was like, I don't know. It was so surreal and amazing. Mm -mm. That's why I'm curious. Like what do other people like who've watched a lot more of Toby Hooper stuff? Like what is his like, his thing or does he have it yeah yeah i'm like i'm genuinely curious because like i haven't watched enough of it you know i think i mean the only way i i think of it i think his style is just i i think of his style is just taking chances gotcha i think he just takes because i think he takes that chances with scenes and with dialogue and with like what he just takes chances and does things you know the, his style is sort of like the anti everyone else's style he, he doesn't seem to okay. have like a coherent style of his own so much more that he just will do things that in ways that no one else will do them Right. So, but he's more, right. way more of a mainstream director than like Richard Stanley, who we talked about on the last episode. Mm-hmm. He has some Toby Hooper in him where he's just going to do this weirdness and do like Colorado space and do like, you know, it's going to look weird or whatever. But Toby Hooper also has a pretty mainstream way to, to tell a story, make it entertaining, you know, like, like All right, I, I gotcha. Richard Stanley couldn't helm. Star Wars, right? Yeah. And David Lynch couldn't do Star Wars. Like, here's the, here, watch this, mind blown, right? Richard Stanley, who I love, and Toby Hooper and David Lynch, of the three of them, Toby Hooper made the best horror Star Wars. Like, David Lynch got offered Star Wars and turned it down, but if he had made it, it wouldn't have been as good as it in Life Force. Because David Lynch can't work in someone else's mythology. Right. <laughs> right? He doesn't have that capability. And then and then Richard Stanley, he, I don't even think he'd get the movie made. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Toby Hooper can ingest, like, just inordinate amounts of cocaine and still make a relatively mainstream movie. <laughs> like, whatever. Now, I know this movie failed or whatever, but, like, he's had a super successful career, right? So, like, yeah. I mean, he won, basically. So... Um, I, I just feel like he, his style is more like risk, take chances, risk taking. That makes sense because when I try to think of the stuff I did, I have seen of his, like it's all really kind of different yes. from each other. So totally, that's pretty like fucking awesome. Like I wouldn't have had Leatherface dance the way he dances in Texas too. I mean, half of Texas too looks like a musical to me. It looks like it looks like Leatherface is just doing like a little jig the whole time. <laughs> he's, he's trying to get down, <laughs> really? trying to make it funky. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's taking a chance, and they, like they pay off when they pay off. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to see this movie, Maybe. and and got to see it in the way we saw it. Yes. Because I really think that amplified it. I I will say this, like the it, it, what's also interesting is after going to a couple of marathons and like a midnight screen. Oh, I guess we went to two midnight screens. We went to the Arrow Theater mm-hmm. for Jason Lives. Yep. Um, which that was a packed house for that one. That was a packed house. And that's honestly the kind of high I've been chasing ever since is a packed house midnight screening of a cult hit. Yep. Because that energy is like, it's just so fucking wild, Nothing dude. Like and like mm-hmm. what, what's even like my favorite part is like, especially when it's like an older film and they'll do like some kind of like off color joke or humor that, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't really fly today when they do it, the audience reaction of like groaning and laughing at how absurd they did the thing. Mm-hmm. Like there was a scene in life force where I think someone slaps the shit out of that girl. Mm-hmm. And, and back then, like, you know, it still feels like kind of weird, mm-hmm. but everyone's reaction to that laughing of like how absurd <laughs> it was. Totally. It just like shit like that is like, uh, yeah, there, well, there's an amazing moment that's played completely completely like deadpan It's played completely like oscar whiplash level acting even though it's completely ludicrous yeah but there's this amazing moment in this movie where they they're interviewing one of the people after his attack and they were like so 
you just you just let her like do it you just let it like whatever and it was they were like what was going on like was it was it uh, sexual and he was like oh yes <laughs> overwhelmingly so and the audience Everyone. just lost it because he was acting like super serious but he was giving us information we already had yeah but we, <laughs> she was walking around but i think for 20 right, minutes right, and get the, it. right and then second of all he was saying it in a way of like he was trying to make it sound like it was it was as horrifying as everything else that was happening and that's what i mean about like things change in terms of of like so like the canon cult the, of the movies you know i feel like the weird part is a lot of those are not going to make it past this current environment we're in right, right? Yeah. there's a lot of those where you just you go back and you watch them and there's just unforgivable things that happen in there. And I think that's one of the interesting things. Maybe that's a good place for me to end, leave it is just the full circle part of even though Toby Hooper's thing is taking chances. And even though I think there is some weird problematic shit sitting in the heart of this movie, I also think that, and it was gratifying to hear that Matilda may, I watched an interview with her where she was saying how incredibly classy Toby Hooper was to her mm-hmm. and how supportive and you know, like whatever. So um, but I think for all his risk taking, we're, we are in safe hands because I think his main concern is entertainment. It's more dangerous when you're dealing with directors who have agendas that are political or sociological or like whatever, because when it's right, when it fits what you believe in, well, that's great. But when it's not, yeah, <laughs> you're in trouble. And so I think Toby Hooper's main goal was just to entertain the shit out of people. Right. So I think I think in in retrospect, the life force may actually grow in strength, which is appropriate since it's a vampire. Yeah, and when you put it like that, then I enjoyed it. <laughs> like I, he accomplished his mission. Like I did not walk out of that theater unsatisfied with the the way we spent our time. Exactly, that so, was perfect. So, so let us know what you think of Life Force, whether you've, you've seen even it heard or of it, you're checking it out after you know after you've listened to this. But we're we're really interested to know because this is. This is sitting in a weird. This movie sits in a weird spot where it should be a cult favorite, but it isn't because it's yeah. too big, too much budget. So I think a lot of people don't think of it as B movie. Right. So it it didn't get to, it didn't get to slide into like Pet Summer Two Two Prom Night Two kind of like status mm-hmm. because it was just too epic, right? And I think it brings back a lot of bad memories for horror fans, who really like Toby Hooper and, re- and know that this movie sort of like really impacted his career for the worse. Right. Right. So I think because of those reasons that this movie doesn't get as much love, uh, as much love as I would like to see it get because I, and I think it's amazing, but let us know what you let think. us know what you think. And I actually, if, if you're in the area and you go to these screenings, let us know if there's any ones that we should check out because Definitely. I really only hear about it from Garen. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so if, if there's any cool screenings or anything like that, uh, that'd be cool to do, have like a Hollow Weekly meetup. Yeah, like we might some, see you there. Yeah, we, we, might, might, we could prearrange it. Like I know the we went to the Universal Monsters one, and you were like, hey, we followed this lady on Twitter, and it was uh, Chelsea. Always, I know her as Chelsea Stardust. I don't know if that's her real name, but the yes. lady who directed Satanic Panic was yep. there. So it's yep. like kind of cool, like the like the community aspect of it. Totally. And if you really, if you really want to know something crazy, uh, I was looking at our download count. Versus our rating and subscribe count. Mm-hmm. And a lot of you guys listening have not reviewed the episode. So if you really, really want to support Life Force, mm-hmm. 
do it via camera. <laughs> wow, that's hijacking. <laughs> let me t- let me take a run of this. Every week I do an episode and our rating and reviews stay the same. I get a little drier. No, no, no. Because those, no, 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 no. Those effects were cool. People will want to see that. People will because de- <laughs> then I will delete my <laughs> review just to watch just to, blow up. just to see like a cool zombie <laughs> right, and then add it back. Hold on, let's say okay. Hold on, let's take another run of this. Let's say <laughs> right, okay, we owe right, it to. Uh, That's not gonna work. You'd be our best friends for life. Yeah, sure. Life force. Hey, hey, hey here we go. <laughs> There we go. Add to our life force with a good review. We Add, appreciate it. That's what it is. Add to our life force with a great review. We appreciate it. Until next time, stay scary. Watch a bunch of horror movies. Talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye.